All right. Thank you, Wesley. And thanks to everybody else. Great to see everybody today. Thanks for coming out and being with us this weekend. We've got a, a teen retreat that's going on. Guys and girls retreats are taking place uh, this weekend. They're going to be back about the time that we finish everything up today. So they're going to be coming back. I know that they've had a, um, a good time uh, together already. And I hope that uh, if your teen was gone this weekend, you had a good time, right? Yeah. All right. Teen was out of the house. That was great. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope that you've enjoyed already the time that we have, we have been together uh, today. We are, um, like I said, we're so thankful for you being here. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but we have been trained to live in extremes. Uh, the duality of life is all around us. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to play a little game. I'm going to give you a word. I'm going to give you a word, and then you are going to say out loud, you're going to give me its counterpart, okay? So here's how we're going to do this. If I say good, you say? All right, we got it. Good. Here we go. Good? North or? East or? Hot or? Life or? On or? All right, man, you guys, we can do this all day, right? I mean, this is just the majority of the lesson. We're just going to go through this. Uh, no, uh, just a few more. Left or? Right or? Oh, wrong. See, I knew I was going to catch you there. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Coke or? Pepsi, yeah. Coke or Pepsi. Up or? Democrat or? Rich or? Waffles or pancakes, right, yeah. Now, I, I knew that, also, I, I knew that the, um, a lot of the teens were going to be away today, but I still thought I would throw this one in just in case. Marvel or DC. DC. Some of you comic book guys, yeah, all right, you got that. Good, look, hey, it's all or, and it's as obvious as night or, see, we live a life of polarities. We, we understand this. We understand how, how, how it can be this way where we end up in extremes. And this polarity is amplified whenever we end up actually being together in groups. Psychology studies have shown that an individual's attitude will, will strengthen or intensify after a group discussion on a particular topic. So you've heard of groupthink, right? Or herd mentality, maybe you've heard it called that before. You get a group of people together and you give it enough time, the desire for harmony or conformity will cause individuals to take on the thoughts and actions of the majority. And so I found out about a study that was done by Leeds University where they performed a group experiment with 200 volunteers. And they were told to randomly walk through a very large open hall like a big, you know, uh, rotunda area, a big, a big dance hall, uh, this big, just a big open space. They're just told to go in and start walking around. Now, after a little bit of time, they select a few of those 200, and those who are performing the experiment give them some details about where and how to walk. And the scientists discovered that people end up blindly following the one or two instructed people who appear to know where they are going and what it is they are doing. The results of the experiment show that it only takes 5% of confident-looking and instructed people 
to influence the direction of the other 95%, okay? So here's what you're going to do this week. You're going to find out if you're part of the 5%, right? You're going to go somewhere, and you're just going to, you're just going to walk confidently, all right? And you're just going to start walking, and I want you to see if somebody follows you or not, or if you get arrested. One or the other. One, one or the other is going to happen. But, but you're just going to go to some space, and you're just going to start walking around and see what happens. Uh, but it, it's why I, I know that uh, it's been times in the past where I've been at hospitals, and I've been trying to go and, and, and find someone who is there either having surgery, looking for a family, and and I can just kind of start walking through the hospital, and you just kind of act like you know where you're going. It's a little bit more difficult after COVID, but before that, you could just kind of act like you knew what you were doing, and it's amazing the way that, it's amazing the places that you could, you could go. Now look, we hear this, we begin to understand why the Hebrew prophet Isaiah would look at the attitudes and actions of humanity and conclude that, that all of us are just like sheep, <laughs> And we have all gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. We exist on the extremes. That's how we do life. Now, the Apostle Paul addressed our tendency for extremes when it comes to our religious practices in a letter that, that we know as a message to the Galatians. It's found about midway through your New Testament. If you'd like to open up there or pull out your phone and, and, and find the G-A-L there in your app and go ahead and pull it up, you're welcome to. Paul had been sent to share the soul-altering message of Jesus to the non-Jewish population of modern-day Turkey. And he was very successful. People in several towns of the region of Galatia, well, they believed the message, and they became disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, the, the Messiah of God, the long-promised Messiah of Jewish scriptures. Now, these were scriptures that the people of Galatia would not really have had a lot of knowledge of. But as you read through... As you read through Galatians, it becomes obvious that Paul, well, he talked to these Gentiles about the Jewish scriptures. He talked to them about the God of Israel. He spoke to them about the promise that would come the blessing through the descendants of a man named Abraham. Paul shared with these non-Jews how because of their faith in the Messiah Jesus, they too were part of God's family. They were children of Abraham. Not because of their heritage, not because of their culture, or some type of conversion to Judaism, but because of their belief. Now, if you've got Galatians, I want you to turn there. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3. All right, Galatians chapter 3, and I want you to see how he reminds these people of what he has already shared with them. Look at verse 7. He says, The real children of Abraham, then, are, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the Scriptures look forward to the time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Stay in the same chapter, but skip ahead to verse 26. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now he has to go and remind them of this relationship that they have with God because at some point in time after Paul left, 
there were some others that came in with a different message. They were also talking about Jesus, but they did not believe that it was enough for these Gentiles to just put their faith in the Messiah. You see, they thought that these Gentiles, if they wanted to enjoy the blessings of Abraham, then they must also join the people of Abraham and become Jewish proselytes. Belief in Jesus wasn't enough. They needed Jesus plus the law of Moses. And Paul reacted very strongly to this false teaching. In the first four chapters of Galatians, he insists that, look, Christ is all they needed. And can I remind you this morning that nothing has changed? Nothing's changed. Christ is still all you need. He's all you need. Our salvation comes from faith in God's promise, not faith in our righteousness. Paul told the Galatians that because of Jesus, the way was opened for all peoples to experience the blessing of Abraham through faith. Instead of living under the obligation of keeping the ancient rules and traditions of the Jewish laws, Gentiles and Jews had the freedom to live for God with God's Spirit living within them. Now right away, as he's talking about this, he sets up a polarity for the Gentiles, but then also for us. You see, on one side over here, there is this group of people who have this Jesus plus mindset, who are people that think that, you know, if there are no rules and if there are no conditions placed on followers of Jesus, then how are we going to determine who's faithful? And how are we going to, to keep someone from sliding back into their old pagan lifestyle? We need rules. That's one group. On the other side are those that believe that since they are not under law, that they have the freedom to just do as they please and indulge in every desire because it's all okay since I believe in, in Jesus. On one side is legalism. On the other side is license. And we, just like those followers in Galatia, drift between both. Now, now let me tell you that the keeping of the old covenant law of Moses was not legalism. A lot of times the, the old law gets a, a bad rap whenever we begin to talk about it, especially in these kind of terms. But that old covenant was founded upon God's saving grace, given to the people after God had redeemed them from Egypt. But that law, that covenant, could easily be distorted into a legalistic way of thinking. Now, what was legalistic was the expectations that believers in Jesus should have to adopt all the rules and traditions of the Torah in order to prove their righteous obedience as God's people. And guys, look, that mindset still exists today. There are legalistic Christians and there are legalistic churches that teach how certain beliefs and actions serve as a litmus test for true Christianity. Worship this way. Hold this view. Vote this issue. Practice well, this discipline. Give this amount. I know of a person once who wanted a certain Bible camp to require a 50-question questionnaire for all prospective Bible teachers. The correct answers to those 50 questions would establish the teacher's, he said, soundness. Now, when he was told that no questionnaire would be given, the, the person then changed and changed the list to just 25 questions. If the camp would just send these 25 questions to the prospective 
Bible teachers that would be there that summer with those teenagers, then, then that would answer the most important of questions. Again, he was told no. Well, this time, the person whittled the questions down to an all-important ten. Right? I mean, you had the Ten Commandments, we got the ten questions. And if, if these ten questions would just be given to anyone who was going to be a Bible teacher, and, and again, though, he was told no, that's not what the camp was going to do. But this time, not only was he told no, but the camp director asked him, they said, what happened to the other 40 questions? He said, what happened to them? Because just a few weeks ago, they were really important. How come suddenly they are no longer as important as they were? You see, they were no longer important because as legalists, we get to pick and choose what matters and what doesn't. And then we hold others hostage to our opinions. Now on the other side of the spectrum, often in reaction to this type of legalism, is the person who rejects the whole idea of rules or traditions. The whole point of the Christian faith, as they see it, is to be free from the burden of institutionalized religion. God loves us, and God loves us just the way that, that we are, they say. And so they have no place for concepts such as discipline or obedience. And this laissez-faire attitude can lead them into being no different from the surrounding world and, and how they think or act. There, there's no difference between that individual and a person that does not know Jesus or has no plans of following him. I know a person who once was certain that an affair that he was involved in was justified because the woman that he was with wasn't being properly cared for by her husband. And God would not want her to stay in a loveless marriage, he told me. That's what he believed. And in situations like this, any biblical correction is routinely met with ac accusations of judgmentalism and hypocrisy. Because who are you to say what is right or wrong? The only law this individual recognizes is the law of their own making. So it's legalism or license. It's law enforcers or law rejectors. And Christians continue to vacillate between the two. But thankfully, the Apostle Paul offered another option in chapter 5 here in this same letter to the Galatians. Chapter 5, look at verse 1. He, he definitely agreed that the good news of Jesus Christ sets us free. So he urged the Galatians, now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. He's saying, look, don't give in to those who are peddling this Jesus plus message. It didn't matter if they were law keepers or not there in Galatia. What mattered, he said, was that their faith in Jesus expressed itself through love. And then Paul goes in the same chapter and he immediately pivots and he says that freedom in Christ is not permission to indulge in sinful desires. He says in verse 13, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. And he uses this word again. He says, I want you to serve one another in love. You see, he ended up telling both the law enforcers and the law rejectors the same thing. 
he focused them both on love. You see, love allows us to fulfill God's expectations without legalism because love was always the foundation of the law. And love enables us to use our freedom properly without selfishness because no longer do we serve a law code. Instead, we serve one another. And now your interests and your needs are more important to me and take precedence over my own wants and my own needs. And so for Paul, it's not legalism or license that should control our thoughts and actions. That's not how the Christian is to live. And so you're sitting there and you've gone through all this. It's like, all right, Chris, I'm I'm listening. I'm kind of going back and forth. I kind of get what you're saying. There's these two different poles that we kind of go between. Sometimes we either turn out to be very legalistic or we turn over here and we end up just using this freedom as a license to kind of go and do whatever we want. But if it's not one of those two, what is it? Well, look with me at verse 16. Still in chapter 5, still in this same letter to the Galatian church, he said, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Some of you, as you're reading your your text, it says to to walk by the Spirit or to, to live in the Spirit. He says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Skip a couple of verses down to verse 18. See, you just spoke into those who want to, to live by license. Now, now listen to those who, who feel like they need to be legalist. He says in verse 18, when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. See, from Paul's perspective, if we allow the Spirit of God to govern the way that we live, we will avoid both the extremes of legalism and license. But the question for us is, well, what in the world does that mean? Because it's one of those things that tends to oftentimes get talked about in church, but never really explained. And so somebody like me might say, all right, I want you to live by the Spirit. And everybody goes, "Woo! oh yeah, living by the Spirit. And you go and you get in the car and you look at your spouse and it's like, what in the world does that mean? I have no idea. That's okay. The person talking about it probably had no idea either. It sounds good though, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good? Live in the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Sounds really good. It's kind of like the thing that you might want to crochet and put up on grandma's wall in the nursing home. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Right? Something you would see there? It's a nice thing to say, but what does it really mean? Well, let's wrap up our time and kind of focus in on this. How do we do this? Well, number one, letting the Holy Spirit guide your life means that you no longer control the GPS. Okay? You no longer control the GPS. Everybody's got a GPS these days, right? Some of you might not know it. It's on your phone, but you have, you have a GPS. Gone are the days of having to remember road names or street signs. We just type in where we want to go, and a, a nice, calm voice directs our, our travel to our destination. Now, sometimes I wish the GPS voice would match the urgency of our driving, right? Turn now! Because that's how we're driving, right? That's what I wish. I wish, I wish the voice would get as maybe angry with me as I am with everybody that's around me or that would speak up and talk faster if, if, if I'm in a hurry or instead of the nice, you know, in two miles. Turn now. That's what I want. GPS is great. Wherever we want to go, you just type in the address and, man, you're off. How did we ever survive without it? Some of you remember there were things called maps that we would buy and, you know, keep in the car and, 
and then we would have to pull over on the side of the road. We actually had to ask for directions at one time. At least the women did. The men never did. I mean, the men have never asked for directions. But the problem is that we have convinced ourselves that we can treat God, and therefore we can treat the Spirit like our own personal Siri. We tell the Spirit where we want to go, and it's His job to get us there. So Holy Spirit, send me to a great relationship. Or Holy Spirit, direct me to a better outcome. Holy Spirit, get me to a safe retirement. We treat God's Spirit like a spiritual Siri. And we just want to dictate where it is that we're going and what God is going to do and and where it is that we're going to end up. But Paul says down in verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And when he says to keep in step, it's this picture of taking a long walk with another person on the beach. No, it doesn't have to be on the beach, but you're taking a long walk with another person and every stride is the same. Right foot, right foot, left foot, left foot, right, left, right, left. And I want you to notice, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is not supposed to keep in step with us. We have to let go of the control of our GPS. That's what it means to begin to to live by the Spirit and to, to walk in the Spirit. And you see, the Spirit's responsibility is... Is not your success, but it's your sanctification. And that's not really a word that we use a lot, but it's the idea that I'm being made holy, that I'm being changed. You see, Paul longed for believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that Christ himself would actually be shaping their whole lives from the inside out. So when when we let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, we no longer control the GPS, and his destination is our Christ-likeness. You see, that's where God is trying to take us. That that's where we're moving. That's where everything is headed. So that we are actually the image of Christ here. That's what it means to be living with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also empowers us to exchange our cravings for Christ's character. You see, when the Holy Spirit guides your life, you exchange those desires, you exchange those wants and those needs and those those cravings that you have for the very character of Christ. Paul reminded the Galatians that the desires of their flesh, he often would use the word, their their sinful nature, not not necessarily their their skin, but, but it's their humanity. The desire of their humanity, well, it was inconsistent with kingdom life. Listen, he said that their cravings produced sexual immorality and impurity and lustful pleasures and idolatry and sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And he says, and then if I haven't mentioned it, sins like these. So for anybody that's sitting out there going, whew, glad Paul didn't mention my sin. Yes, he did. He did. Okay? Some of you are like, man, I was afraid there. I was getting a little worried. Chris was crescendoing. It was building up. And I knew that mine was coming, but it wasn't there. Yes, it is. And sins like these. You know, these actions might be praised by our society. It's praised by their society. These actions might be praised by our society now, but, 
but they have no place in the life of someone who is a follower of Jesus. And the reason is because Jesus was none of these things, right? I mean, think about it. Jesus wasn't sexually immoral or impure, seeking after lustful pleasures. He wasn't an idolater or sorcerer. He wasn't hostile towards others. He didn't display a quarreling or, or jealous spirit. He didn't show himself to be angry or, or selfish. He didn't cause dissension or division. He wasn't green with envy. And, and while he did enjoy a good party, he wasn't a drunkard or a deviant. Jesus was none of these things. But you know what he was? He was loving and he was joyful. He was peaceful. He was kind. He was good. He was faithful. He was gentle. And he was self-controlled. And that's why Paul famously wrote in verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You see, when you're living by the Holy Spirit, when you're in step with the Spirit, when you're saying, God, it's not about my direction anymore, it's about you, it's about you transforming me more into the image of your Son, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit of God causes those who put their faith in Jesus to become more and more like the Jesus that they love and trust and follow. So I've got to ask you, and we're going to be asking this question as we go along now for the next few weeks. You got fruit? Do you? Do I? When I look at my life, do I see myself loving like Jesus? Do I see myself having the joy of Jesus? Do I see myself demonstrating the patience and the kindness of Jesus? Do I go around doing good like Jesus? Am I faithful to God like Jesus was? Am I gentle to the least of these like Jesus? Do I control, do I control self? when I so want to take control, like Jesus did. Got fruit? It's the natural product of life. You know, if a tree has life, it produces fruit. It doesn't think about it. I don't think there's a tree out there that's sitting there going, oh, uh, oh there it is. You know, I, I don't think that's what happens. The fruit comes just because the tree is alive doesn't think about it. It just happens. It's the result of life. And the character of Christ is the natural result of an everyday, ordinary human life being guided by the living Spirit of God. The Spirit of God naturally cultivates the character of Christ in our lives. And He keeps us from moving in between these extremes of legalism and license. But get this. The Spirit of God cannot produce what you do not desire. Sometimes I think we just, we just have this idea that God by osmosis or something is just going to kind of turn us into this walking, talking version of Jesus. Or that as soon as we come up out of a baptistry, that after we're baptized, we're at a lake, a creek, we're somewhere, we're at a pool, and we pop up out of the water, and then all of a sudden, well, boom, it's going to happen. 
Now, I don't really desire to be a lot like Jesus, and, and I'm a little concerned about what God's going to do with my life and where he's going to send me. I don't really want that, but yet God is just going to force it on me. Friends, the character of Christ will not be forced upon you. If you want to be legalistic and go through life with a Jesus plus mentality, thinking that it's got to be Jesus and your righteousness, well, that's your choice. Just like it's your choice if you use your freedom in Christ as a license to live by your own selfish pleasure. That's your choice. But understand, neither is an option for kingdom people. That's not what kingdom people are supposed to be about. But look, and I want you to hear this this morning. I'm not trying to ask you, and we haven't been, as we've been going through multiple different kinds of lessons that are all kind of going in the same direction. I'm not asking you to be a better Christian. I'm not trying to say that you need to get better at what you're doing. I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm actually asking you with this lesson to do less. Asking that you do less. Less trying to add your righteousness to Christ's righteousness. Less trying to define freedom by your wants and desires. See, I think we all need to do less and allow the Holy Spirit to do more. We're a group of people that's afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you'd like to talk more about it, Calvin Krim has a great class that's going on. And he's about halfway through, and you're going to be kind of drowning in the deep end. But you can still go in there right now, and you can start catching up and it's going to be an amazing study as you begin maybe to learn about a portion of God and a part of God that you've never really thought about before. But it's not about you doing more, but allowing the Holy Spirit to do more. The Spirit can and will cultivate the character of Christ in our lives. That's what he does. We just need to let him. And so I remember when Emily was little, she was trying to push down the footstool that was attached to our sofa. You know, a lot of you guys got that. You've got it on your chair, you've got it there on your, on your couch, on your sofa. And, and she was small and she wanted to, to push that footstool back down. And, and so she was putting all of her weight on it and she was pushing and she was pressing and it just wouldn't budge. And so I told her, I said, hey, sweetheart, I said, here, let daddy help you. And she looked at me and said, me do it. And about that way, me do it. So she continued to struggle. Me do it. She pushed with her arms and she kicked with her legs. She even sat on top of it in hopes that her tidy little frame would somehow collapse it to the floor. Me do it! And finally in tears, she relented and let me help. And I got behind her and together we pushed the footrest into place. I say together, I, I pushed and she just reveled in the satisfaction of a job well done. A satisfaction that she could have enjoyed much sooner if instead of saying, me do it, she just looked at her father and said, you do it. Daddy do it. I have a feeling that there are a good number of us who are in here this morning who for a long time have been looking at God saying, me do it. Me do it. Me do it my way. Me do it. And we've tried. But all of our legalism and all of our license has only brought us to frustration and tears. 
So how about today? How about today you bow your head and tell God's Spirit, you do it. You do it. And let God's Spirit do what God's Spirit does best. Cultivate Christ's character in you. Will you join me in that prayer this morning? Father, we've been saying me do it for a long time. We're very independent people. We like things certain ways. And because we live in a world of extremes, we have brought that into our relationship with you. And it seems like we do go back and forth between this idea of thinking that it's all about me and it's all about my righteousness and my faithfulness and that I have to get everything right and that everybody else has to get everything right and man, if we don't get everything right, then what in the world are we going to do because apparently Jesus isn't enough. And then there's that side, Father, where we're like, hey, we've got freedom and we can just live like we want to live and we can, we, we can just have the, the plans that we want to have and we can just do whatever it is we want to do. There are no barriers. There, there, are, there are no rules for us. And if anybody says that, that, well, we're going down a path that is not honoring to you, well, who are they to tell us? And we go back and forth between these two ideas, and it's all the same. Me do it, me do it, me do it. Father, it's our prayer this morning that it's our prayer that your spirit will do it. That your spirit will do what your spirit does best. And that your spirit will begin to transform us. And that we'll begin to understand that Christ is enough. And that we will also begin to understand that we have been set free in order to, in order to glorify you, not glorify ourselves and our desires. Father, you do it. Your spirit, do it. Change us in whatever way you see fit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, that is a hard prayer. That is a hard prayer. And it's not one that you can just pray one time. It's not one that we can just say together here this morning and it's like, whew, boy, glad we got that out of the way. Now let's go to um, Chili's. All right? And let's, let's go to Chili's and let's, um, let's kind of get things moving on and let me get about my day and let me start planning things for this week and what I'm going to do at school, what I'm going to do at work. And that, that is a daily prayer. It is a daily prayer where we just wake up saying, God, you're going to do it today. And we're riding to work and it's like, Spirit, you do it. I got this meeting coming up and I, I don't know what I'm going to say. Spirit, you do it. You've you got this conversation that you need to have with, uh, with, with someone, and it's going to be a hard conversation. And you're like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
Spirit, you, you do it. Let God's Spirit cultivate Christ's character in you. It's a prayer that we pray every single day. We're going to hopefully be able to learn more about that. I hope that you'll join us as we walk through this idea together over the uh, next few weeks. I'm so thankful that you've been here today and been able to be a part. We're going to, to sing and encourage one another. I know that we've already had a group prayer together, but maybe you just need a time of individual prayer. One of our, one of our elders will be in our prayer room. It's located in our lobby. You can just walk to the back and go there if you'd like to have just a time of individual prayer or, or conversation. Maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ today because of your belief that Jesus is truly the Son of God. A shout out to Cooper Jones. Where, there you are, Cooper. Yeah, go ahead. I know you, did, you thought I was going to forget. There it is. Raise the hand. Raise it high. Last, last weekend, Cooper Jones baptized into Christ right there. Yeah. And we had uh, two of our uh, Hispanic worshipers also baptized into Christ last week. So we had three. That was, that was awesome. Maybe you'd like to do that. That's right. Maybe you'd like to do that. Because here's the cool thing about it. We're told in Scripture that those who are baptized into Christ, that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's where you begin the walk. Then you just got to start listening. You got to give up the GPS. Go where the Spirit leads and be transformed into the image of Christ. Would you like to do that this morning? Let's stand and give God praise.